chapter thirty three of the maid of scar this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the maid of scar by i d blackmore chapter thirty three in a state of nature now all these things contributed coming as they did so rapidly to arouse inside me a burning and almost desperate curiosity it was in vain that i said to myself these are no concerns of mine let them manage their own affairs the less i meddle the better for me i seem to be in a barbarous land and i must expect things barbarous and after all what does it come to compared with the great things i have seen i and played my part in to reason thus and regard it thus and seek only to be quit of it was a proof of the highest wisdom any man could manifest if he could only stick to it and this i perceived and thus i felt and praised myself for enforcing it so until it became not only safe but a bounden duty to reward my conscience by a little talk or so hence i lounged into the stable-yard for that terrible chown was not yet come back neither were maids to be got at for talking only that stony steel-yard and there i found three or four shirt-sleeved fellows hissing at horses and rubbing away to put their sleeping polish on them before the master should return also three or four more were labouring in the stalls very briskly one at a sort of holy stoning making patterns with brick and sand and the others setting up the hammocks for the nags to lie in with a lashing of twisted straw aft of their afterheels and taffrails as the wake of a ship might be and all of it done most shipshape this amused me mightily for i never had seen such a thing before even among wild horses who have power to manage their own concerns but to see them all go in so snugly and with such a sweet clean savour each to his own oats or mashings with the golden straw at foot made me think and forced me to it of those wretched white barbarians white at least just here and there whom good parson jack as one might almost try to call him had led me to visit that same afternoon perceiving how the wind sat i even held back and smoked a pipe exactly as if i were overseer and understood the whole of it yet did not mean to make rash reproach this had a fine effect upon them especially as i chewed a straw by no means so as to stop my pipe but to exhibit mastery and when i put my leg over a rail as if i found it difficult to keep myself from horseback the headman came to me straightforward and asked me when i had hunted last i told him that i was always hunting week-days and sundays and all the year round because it was our fashion and that we hunted creatures such as he never had the luck to set eyes on and when i had told him a few more things such as flow from experience when mixed with imagination a duller man than myself might see that he longed for me to sup with him and he spoke of things that made me ready such as tripe and onions 
however this would never do i felt myself strongly under orders and but for this paramount sense of duty never could i have done the things modestly mentioned as of yore and those of hereafter tenfold as fine such as no modesty dare suppress so when i had explained to him exactly how i stood about it he did not refuse to fill his pipe with a bit of my choice tobacco and to come away from all idle folk to a place in the shelter of a rick where he was sure to hear the hoofs of his master's horse returning i sat with him thus and we got on well and as he was going to marry soon the daughter of a publican who had as good as fifty pounds and nothing that could be set on fire and lived fifty miles away almost he did not mind telling me all the truth because he saw that i could keep it and at his age he could not enter into the spirit of being kicked so i told him i should like to see a man kick me but he said that i might come to it this was a very superior man and i durst not contradict him and having arranged so to settle in life how could he hope to tell any more lies for i have always found all men grow pugnaciously truthful so to put it for a month almost before wedlock while the women are doing the opposite however not to go far into that what he told me was much as follows parson chowne in early life before his mind was put into shape for anything but to please itself had been dreadfully vexed and thwarted every matter had gone amiss directly he was concerned in it his guardians had cheated him so had his stepmother so had his favourite uncle and of course so had his lawyers done in the thick of that bitterness what did his sweetheart do but throw him over she took a great scare of his strange black eyes when she found that his money was doubtful this was instinct no doubt on her part and may have been a great saving for her but to him it was terrible loss his faith was already astray a little but a dear wife might have brought it back or at any rate made him think so and he was not of the nature which gropes after the bottom of everything like a twisting augur having a prospect of good estates he was sent to london to learn the law after finishing at oxford not that he might practise it but to introduce a new element to the county magistrates when he should mount the bench among them here he got rogued as was only natural and a great part of his land fell from him and therefore he took to the clerical line and being of a stern and decided nature he married three wives one after the other and thus got a good deal of property it was said of course as it always is of any man thrice a widower that he or his manner had killed his wives a charge which should never be made without strong evidence in support of it at any rate there had been no children and different opinions were entertained whether this were the cause or effect of the parson's dislike and contempt of little ones moreover as women usually are of a tougher staple than men can be chowne's successive liberation from three wives had added greatly to his fame for witchcraft such as first accrued from his commanding style nocturnal habits method of quenching other people and collection of pots and kettles 
the head-groom told me with a knowing wink that in his opinion the parson was now looking after wife number four for he never had known him come out so smart with silver heels and crested headpiece and even the mark of the saddle must not show upon his breeches this was a sure sign he thought that there was a young lady in the wind possessing both money and good looks such as chowne was entitled to and always had insisted on upon that point i could have thrown some light if prudence had permitted it or at least i had some shrewd suspicions after what happened beside the river however i said nothing but i asked him what in his opinion first had soured the young man chowne against the whole of the world so sadly as he seemed to retain it now and he answered me that he could not tell inasmuch as the cause which he had heard given seemed to him to be most unlikely according to all that he saw of the man nevertheless i bade him tell it being an older man than he was and therefore more able to enter into what young folk call inconsistencies and so he told me that it was this chowne while still a young boy had loved with all the force of his heart a boy a few years younger than himself a cousin of his own but not with prospects such as he had and this boy had been killed at school and the matter hushed up comfortably among all high authorities but stoyle chowne had made a vow to discover and hunt it out to the uttermost and sooner or later to have revenge but when his own wrongs fell upon him doubtless he had forgotten it i said that i did not believe he had done so or ever would to the uttermost then i asked about parson jack and heard pretty much what i expected that he was a well-meaning man enough although without much sense of right or wrong until his evil star led him into parson chowne's society but still he had instincts now and then such as a horse has of the right road and an old woman of his church declared that he did not feel his own sermons and if he let alone and listened to might come to act up to them i asked whether parson chowne might do the like but was told that he never preached any we were talking thus and i had quite agreed to his desire of my company for supper-time when the sound of a horse upon stony ground tearing along at a dangerous speed quite broke up our conference the groom at the sound of it damped out his pipe and signified to me to do the same i have fired a many of his enemy's ricks he whispered in his haste and fright but if he were to smell me a smoking near to a rick of his own good lord and he pointed to a hay-rope as if he saw his halter and though he had boasted of speedy marriage and carrying no fig for parson chowne he set off for the stables at a pace likely to prove injurious to his credit for consistency on the other hand i in a leisurely manner picked myself up from the attitude natural to me when listening kindly and calmly asserting my right to smoke approached the track by which i knew that the rider must come into the yard for all the dogs had no fear of me now by virtue of the whistle which i bore and before i had been there half a minute the parson dashed up with his horse all smoking and himself in a heavy blackness of temper such as i somehow expected of him no jack here not a jack to be seen have the kindness to look for my stable whip ho llewellyn is it 
yes your reverence david llewellyn once of his majesty's royal navy and now of no more of that you have played me false i expected it from a rogue like you restore me that trust guinea this so largely differed from what even anthony stew would dare to say in conversation with me much less at times of evidence that i lifted up my heart to heaven as two or three preachers had ordered me and even our parson had backed it up with lineage at least as good and perhaps much better than parson chowne's by right of welsh blood under it the whole of this overcame me so that i could only say what guinea sir what guinea indeed you would rob me would you don't you know better than that my man come to me in two hours time stop give me that dog's whistle taking that heed of me and no more he cast the reins to my friend the head groom who came up looking for all the world as if never had he seen me and wondered strangely who i could be and this air of fright and denial always pervaded the whole household all of which was quite against what i had been long accustomed to wherever i deigned to go in with my news to the servant's place or the housekeeper's room or anywhere pointed out to me as the best for entertainment here however although the servants seemed to be plentiful enough and the horses and the hounds to have as much as they could eat there was not a trace of what i may call good domestic comfort when this prevails as it ought to do in every gentleman's household the marks may be discovered in the eyes and the mouth of everybody nobody thinks of giving way to injudicious hurry when bells ring or when shouts are heard or horses feet at the front door and if on the part of the carpeted rooms any disquietude is shown or desire to play or feed or ride at times outside the convenience of the excellent company downstairs there is nothing more to be said except that it cannot be done and should never in common reason have been thought of for all servants must enjoy their meals and must have time to digest them the with proper ease for conversation and expansion afterwards at candleston court it was always so and so it should be everywhere however to return to my groom whose cordiality revived at the moment his master turned the corner perceiving that chowne had some matter on hand which would not allow him to visit the stables just for the present at any rate he turned the black mare over to the care of an understrapper and with a wink and a smack of his lips gave me to know that his supper was toward neither were we disappointed but found it all going on very sweetly in a little private room used for cleaning harness and he told me that this young cookmaid of unusual abilities had attached herself to him very strongly with an eye to promotion and having no scent of his higher engagement neither would he have been unwilling to carry out her wishes if she could only have shown a sixpence against the innkeeper's daughter's shilling i told him that he was too romantic and he said with a sigh that he could not help it but all would come right in the end no doubt this honest affection impressed me not a little in his favour and in less than an half an hour i found him a thoroughly worthy fellow while he perceived through a square stalked rummer that my character was congenial i told him therefore some foreign stories many of which were exceedingly true and he by this time was ready to answer almost anything that i chose to ask even though he knew nothing about it 
as for the people that wore no clothes but lived altogether in the old mud-house there need be and could be no mystery every one knew that his reverence had picked them up in his early days and been pleased with their simple appearance and dislike of cultivation perceiving even then how glad he might be in after-life to annoy his neighbours what did he do but bring these people then six in number and all of them wives and husbands to one another and persuade them to dig themselves out a house and by deed of gift establish them on forty acres of their own land so that as englishmen loved to say their house was now their castle not that these were perhaps english folk but rather of a gipsy cross capable however of becoming white if a muscular man should scrub them the groom said that nobody durst go near them except parson chowne and parson jack and that they seemed to get worse and worse as they began to be persecuted by clothes-wearing people i asked him what their manners were and he said he believed that they were good enough so long as not interfered with and who could blame them for maintaining that whether they wore clothes or not was entirely their own concern also that if other strangers intruded from motives of low curiosity upon their unclad premises it was only fair to point out to them the disadvantages of costume by making it very hard to wash there was some sense in this because the main anxiety of mankind is to convert one another and the pelting of mud is usually the beginning of such overtures and these fine fellows having recurred as parson chowne said to a natural state their very first desire would be to redeem all fellow-creatures from the evils of civilization whereof the foremost perhaps is clothes and the time we take in dressing a twelfth part of their waking life with even the wisest women and with the unwise virgins often not less than three-quarters and with many men not much better but to come back to my savages i asked this good groom how it came to pass that none of the sheriffs or deputies or even magistrates of the shire put down this ungoodly company he said that they had tried but failed according to the laws of england on the best authority because these men of the ancient adam went back to the time before the beasts had come to adam to get their names they brought up their children without a name and now all names were dying out and they agreed much better in consequence and how could any writ warrant or summons run against people without a name it had once been tried with a nesho kiss the meaning of which was beyond me but parson chowne upset that at once and the bailiff was fit to make bricks of at this i shook my head and smiled because we put up with many evils on our side of the water but never with people so unbecoming in their manner of life and clothes and i thought how even mild colonel lower would have behaved upon such a point and how sharp anthony stew would have stamped when they began to pelt him and how i wished him there to try it nevertheless i desired to know what victuals these good barbarians had because although like the indian yogis mentioned by some great traveller they might prove their right to go without clothes which never were borne upon them they could not to my mind prove their power to do so well without victuals he answered that this was a clever thing on my part to inquire about but that i was so far wrong that these people would eat anything 
his reverence sent them every week the refuse of his garden as well as of stable-yard and kennel and they had a gift of finding food in everything around them their favourite dish so to say when they had never a dish among them was what they discovered in the pasture-land and this they divided carefully accounting it the depth of shame and the surest mark of civilization to cheat one another but they could not expect to get this every day in a neighbourhood of moorland therefore instead of grumbling they did their best to get on without it and providence always sends thousands of victuals for all whose stomachs have not been ruined by thinking too much about them or very likely through women beginning to make them delicate so when a man is seasick he thinks of and hates almost everything on the other hand these noble fellows hated nothing that could be chewed twenty-one sorts of toadstool with the insects which inhabit them three varieties of eft and of frogs no less than seven also slugs six inches long too large to have a house built moles that live in lines of decks like a man-of-war's man also rats and brindled hedgehogs and the grubs of hornets which far surpass all oysters these and other little things like goat moths leopards and money grubs kept them so alive as never to come down on the parish neither was there any hen-roost rick-yard apple-room or dairy on the farms around them but in it they found nourishment into all this i could enter while the groom only showed the door of it but while we were talking thus i heard the stable clock strike eight which brought hezekiah to my mind and my own church clock at newton it struck in such a manner that i saw the door of my own cottage also bunny in bed with her nostrils ready to twitch for snoring and mother jones with a candle stooping to ease her by means of a drop of hot grease and inside by the wall lay bardie sleeping as she always slept with a smile of high-born quietude and what would all three say to me if ever i got back again thanking this excellent groom for all his hospitality to me and promising at his desire to keep it from his master i took my way as pointed out to the room where his reverence might be found i feared that his temper would be black unless he had dined as i had supped and taken a good glass afterwards and i could not believe what the groom had told me concerning one particular there is a most utterly pestilent race arising and growing up around us whose object is to destroy old england by forbidding a man to drink st paul speaks against them and all the great prophets and the very first thing that was done by our lord after answering them in the temple was to put them to shame with a great many firkins also one of the foremost parables is concerning bottles as especially honest things while bushels are to the contrary and the tendency of all scripture is such whichever testament you take that no man in his wits can doubt it and though i never read the koran and only have heard some verses of it i know enough to say positively that mahomet began this movement to establish antichrist however my groom said that parson chowne though not such a fool as to stop other people scarcely ever took a drop himself and his main delight was to make low beasts of the clergy who had no self-command and two or three years ago he had played a trick on his brother parson such as no man would ever have tried who took his own glass in moderation and enjoyed it heartily as scripture even commands us to do to promote good fellowship and discretion having a power of visitation from some faculty he enjoyed he sent all round to demand their presence at a certain time for dinner 
all the parsons were glad enough especially as their wives could not in good manners be invited because there was now no mrs chowne and they saw a rare chance to tell good stories and get on without the little snaps which are apt to occur among ladies therefore they all appeared in strength having represented it as a high duty whatever their better halves might think when a parson says this his wife must knock under or never go to church again being there they were treated well and had the good dinner they all deserved and found their host very different from what they had been led to expect of him he gave them as much wine as they needed and a very good wine too he let them tell their stories though his own taste was quite different and he even humoured them so as to laugh the while he was despising them and though he could not bear tobacco that and pipes were brought in for them all went smoothly until one of them edged on by the others called for spirits and hot water this master chowne had prepared for of course and meant to present the things in good time but now being gored thus in his own house the devil entered into him his dark face grew of a leaden colour while he begged their pardon then out he went to mother steelyard and told her exactly what to do two great jacks of brown brandy came in and were placed upon the table and two silver kettles upon the hobs he begged all his guests to help themselves showing the lemons and sugar candy the bottles and kettles and everything and then he left them to their own devices while he talked with parson jack who had dropped in suddenly now what shall i tell you came to pass as a very great traveller always says why only that these parsons grew more drunk than despair or even hope because in the silver kettles was not water but whisky at boiling point and the more they desired to weaken their brandy the more they fortified it until they tumbled out altogether in every state of disorder for this he had prepared by placing at the foot of his long steps half a dozen butts of liquid from the cleaning of his drains meant to be spread on the fields next day and into the whole of this they fell and he bolted the doors upon them this made a stir in the clerical circles when it came to be talked about but upon reference to the bishop he thought they had better say nothing about it only be more considerate and on the whole it redounded greatly to the credit of parson chowne End of chapter 33